Hello, everyone. This is Gary Sheffer from the Boston University College of Communication. We're back for another episode of The Crux of the Story. And I'm here with Mike Fernandez, one of the most respected people in communications and the CCO of Enbridge, a global energy company. How you doing, Mike? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. We're into our second week here in, of the semester at BU. My students are dazzled. They just love <laughs> Professor Sheffer and uh, going really well. It's going really well. They don't well. know you yet. <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly right. So, Mike, um, you speak several languages, English, Spanish, and business, including as someone with an accounting degree, the language of finance. Which do you use most often? <laughs> well, it's an interesting question. I can remember as an undergrad at Georgetown, as people were going more and more into computers, you could actually opt out of a foreign language by taking a computer language. Um, wow. And, you know, one could go on that, you know, we both speak kind of the language of computers and technology, the language of crisis management. Um, language in itself is, is really oral, written, and, and, and some might even say a series of images and symbols, you know, that allow us to communicate with one another. And when I'm drawn to the discussion of language, I'm reminded of the quote that's often attributed to George Bernard Shaw, that the biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place, underscoring whether we are really communicating unless the intended audience understands what we're trying to say. Oh, that's great, Mike. Fantastic. I should have known from a Georgetown guy. You'd be getting <laughs> sure. That kind of thing. I have to say, language can also be beautiful. Yeah. Quite beautiful. And and I won't tell you why, but last night I was reading poetry. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the poetry of John Ashbery. I don't know if you ever heard him, but he is a great American poet, poet Pulitzer Prize winner, and lived in my hometown of Hudson, New York. And then I was reading Sir Walter Raleigh. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the famous explorer. He was a, yeah. a love poet. He yeah. was. You so, know, so were you reading this to your wife? Uh, no, I should have, though. <laughs> I should have. It's a good idea. But, you know, Raleigh was a great explorer, loved, very fond of Queen Elizabeth I. But his words got him in trouble. He was banned to the Tower of London and later beheaded. So words can also get you in trouble. Right. So uh, so that's what we're going to talk just, about. Just ask, just ask Jan Wenner, right? Yeah, exactly. We're all yeah, Jan Wenner. Yes. Uh, for those of you, the Rolling Stone founder got himself in some trouble with the New York Times, which is where our guests are from today. And the topic is the language of business, um, which is obviously very important. We, we fool around about it, but um, it's quite important. Our guests write about it for the New York Times in a column called Shop Talk, which I uh, enjoy immensely. It helps readers understand inside business jargon, newly coined terms, and the unfortunate or overused phrases. Today, we are joined by Veronica Majeral, the editor of Shop Talk, and Jordan Holman, a contributing writer to Shop Talk and a retail reporter for the Times Business section. Welcome to The Crux. 
Welcome to The Crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communications that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives. Hello, this is Gary Shepard. And hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University. All right, Veronica, I'm going to start with you. Before we dive into the background of the column and all of that, I, I want to dive straight into a phrase that was featured in it, dog fooding, dog fooding. What is it? Yeah, so dog fooding is a term of art in Silicon Valley. Um, it's when tech workers use their own product over and over again to see how well it works and to catch any kinks in the product and um, so that they can automatically see where improvements can be made. Um, the person who wrote this column, Laura Kelly, she traced the roots. Well, she said the roots are disputed, but um, some think it was inspired by a commercials from the 1970s and 1980s in which the actor Lauren Green sang the praises of Alpo as he fed his dogs. Um, <laughs> that, that's one origin story. Um, others cite a, a story about a CalCan executive who ate the brand's dog food at shareholder meetings. So um, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to get to the origin of these terms, but um, they're fun. They're fun to hear about whether or not, so, so whether or not we can confirm both that. Veronica and Jordan first welcome. Um, but I, what we'd love to hear, and I think our audiences would love to hear is a little bit more about your roles at the New York times, how you got involved with the shop talk, column and and maybe your general interest in in jargon business or otherwise when we start with with jordan at the new york times i write about the retail industry and consumerism and how that um, impacts the economy and uh, i've been i've always been a business reporter so i've covered different industries and this column really interests me because the longer you cover an industry the more you understand the jargon. And so as a reporter, it's really important to not use that industry jargon in your writing because, <laughs> you know, my mom picking up these pieces has, has no idea what I'm talking about um, <laughs> if you do so. And so this uh, shop talk is almost this element of like showing your work as a reporter. Um, when yeah. I'm talking to sources, they're using a certain word. I need to then translate it. Um, and in the column, I'm actually taking the time to sit and explain, you know, why an executive is using this word, the reasoning why they would want to use the word versus the word we would use in the real world. And it's, it's it can be really fun that way. Yeah. Veronica? Yeah. So I edit a whole host of things on the business desk, but I took over the shop talk column about a year ago and it, it, it started about a year ago and I, and dry who came up with the idea asked me to take over and sort of make it my own. And what's interesting about it, I think the idea behind shop talk is that as editors, we're always trying to edit out the jargon. We, when I edit a story and I see something that is, um, like a jargony word, I'll, I'll use, usually ask the writer, can you, can we say this more plainly? Can we recast this? But we sort of decided, what if we took jargon and made that the story and sort of um, got to the heart of what people are talking about when they use these, these specialized words. Um, and, and what I like about it is I, I, I'm a language person. I, I have an English degree and I 
still read a lot of novels, so I'm very interested in words. What what I think jargon really does, it can serve a lot of purposes. Um, it can be a really effective industry shorthand that efficiently conveys a complicated idea. So you have a word like shrink, which Jordan wrote. Um, everyone in retail knows what that means. And so it it's economical. It, it, it sort of gets across a complicated idea. There's also the kind of jargon that hides um, a little bit. It's sort of meant to obfuscate. And I know we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. Um, and so there's that kind of jargon, which sometimes we're interested in decoding a little bit, like, what does this really mean? Um, and then it, it can also be really inventive um, when when new situations arise in business or in socio-political um, circles, new terms new terms arise to describe new situations. I'm thinking of uh, peak China, which we did a few weeks ago. That is a new term to describe a new, a, a new reality about um, America's relationship with China. So, so how do you decide which, which topics you're going to focus on? I always have an ear out for jargon these days. I'm just constantly um, jotting down. Anytime I hear something that seems like it's newly coined, where it's it's sort of um, people on a business podcast using a term and then someone saying, oh, I haven't heard that one before. And so I think, okay, that's that's something we should um, we should maybe explore. Or if I see a term coming up a lot um, that is just sort of in the news and kind of coming up because it reflects a certain moment, um, sometimes they're very topical and they really relate to to things that are happening right now. And sometimes they're just um, terms that have always been there, but maybe a lot of people don't really know what they mean. So it's a mix, and and I have a long running list of of terms that I that I consider. And um, I also I also asked the reporters because the New York Times business desk has such a wealth of talented, knowledgeable reporters who know their beats so incredibly well. So sometimes I'll turn to them and I'll say, hey, do you are you hearing anything? What What's the buzzwords that are happening in your industry right now? And usually they, they know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, and, and it's interesting. Um, Veronica, you talked about phrases being there, but maybe um, we haven't recognized them in some time or not in the same way. And I was struck not too long ago when uh, Jason Korean uh, used the phrase going concern. And for me, it actually had some connotation because I had studied uh, accounting in college uh, as, as a graduate student. And the, there I had grown or I had, had learned that there was something called the going concern concept in my accounting theory class of all things, which is kind of the underpinning for the reason for financial statements. But what was Jason referencing and, and, and why did it win a spot in shop talk? So um, a colleague on the business desk's Note, he, he suggested the term to me because he noticed it was coming up a lot more and it was sort of coinciding with this moment where companies were emerging um, from the wake of the pandemic and some of them uh, worse for the wear. And um, Jason agreed to write it. So 
what does it mean? The funny thing about going concern is it's actually a good thing. You want to, if you're a business, you want to be a going concern. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about it is it only comes up if you're a business in trouble, right? So nobody's saying this company that's thriving is a going concern. It just doesn't, if the word doesn't, the term doesn't come up. So um, it's, it comes up as a warning if you, if, if, accountants and auditors um, think that there's a risk that the company would go bust within the 12 months. So then they issue going concern warnings. Um, so that's why the term signals something. When, it, when, it, when it's there, it follows once the warning is issued is a company's stock price tanks. Creditors get worried and employees start looking for other jobs. And almost inevitably, a bankruptcy mm -hmm. will follow within the year. So some recent examples where going concern warnings were issued um, and they did result in bankruptcy is Bed Bath & Beyond, Vice Media, and Virgin Orbit. They all had going concern warnings and they all ended in bankruptcy within 12 <laughs> months. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is because the going concern concept that I learned years ago was all about, so the reason you have financial statements is because you believe you're going to be playing another day and you want a point of comparison so that you can improve hmm. the livelihood of your company. Thus, the term going concern concept. So what we've actually seen in this case is something that was viewed as positive and a very underpinning for the science of financial bookkeeping to now being right. viewed as a negative right. that might take exactly. somebody's stock. Well, you know, it's it, companies also invent words or change words. Says the man from Echo Imagination. More... <laughs> yeah, Echo Well, yes, GE's. So, eco, oh, eco Mike, eco, <laughs> like ecology. Yeah, yeah. So we do. We invent words. Um, Starbucks, uh, for example, they're associates, I believe. They're not employees, et cetera. And Jordan, you wrote a piece. Are they partners? Uh, well, yeah, partners, you're right. You're right. They're partners. partners at Starbucks. Yeah. And and although some of them don't feel that way <laughs> right now, right now, uh, Jordan, you wrote a piece for Shop Talk on Dick's Sporting Goods, the retailer of all things sort of athletic, referring to its customers as athletes. Does that kind of change where you go from customers to athletes really help attract more shoppers to Dick's or is it just sort of pandering to uh, to the audience? Well, I guess one big thing is a lot of time customers don't know what they're being called. <laughs> like it's not necessarily clear when you're walking in to buy a soccer ball or, or whatever for your kid that you're being called an athlete. But I think it does two things. Um, for the company that is naming their guests something else other than customers or shoppers, it, um, the mindset is that for associates, that kind of helps elevate the shopping experience. Right. So if you're calling a shopper an athlete, it's like, let me treat them as such. Let me um, 
imagine that they really do want to know the functionalities of the sporting gear, or maybe they're coming in with that expertise. So then, you know, they can take it to the next level. And so uh, that, that's kind of the mindset, like Target calls shoppers guests right. to kind of elevate that moment or Sephora calls clients, you know, even if you're just getting mascara. So it, it kind of just makes, makes it more fun um, and then have a higher level of service. But for the customer, if you don't know you're being called that, it doesn't really do right, much. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, it's interesting, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, there's a difference between marketing. I mean, those are marketing decisions, right, that the company is making. And, and a lot of the phrases that Shop Talk features are really built around um, financial communications or um, CEO letters, language you might find in CEO letters, and, and where jargon really invades you know, just about every sentence. And we had a guest on last week, uh, Chris Reddy, who's a scientist and he works with MIT and Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. And I I loved what he said about clarity and language for scientists in a crisis is that you want to make it to dinner. In other words, your language and your communications want to be so clear that people can talk about it at the dinner table. Right. And, and I think, you know, this is me not asking a question, but maybe giving a little speech is we've really lost that in, in business. Right. Where we send out these heavily lawyered, heavily finance influenced statements with instead of talking to reporters. Um, and, and that represents our position on something that's important. So I, I love the fact that you're featuring some of these things, which I think hurt business. I, I do think they, when used in the wrong context, so end of speech. But I, I do want to ask Jordan, let's face it, every organization I've ever worked for has its own jargon, has its own language. Okay, so um, it's not just limited to business, having just gone through uh, my speech on business. If you were writing a shop talk about the New York Times, can you think of a phrase you might feature about it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like the perfect person to ask this because I've just been at the Times a little over a year. So the whole past year has been me asking Veronica and other editors like, what does that mean? What what do you just ask me for? <laughs> I don't know what you mean by that sport bulldog on Sunday or, or what have you. And I still quite don't know what that means. But um, so I came from another journalism organization. So it's funny, you would think a lot of the same phrases would take place, but every um, organization has its own spin on words. So at the times, once you get a story edited and your editor is sending it back to you, they say, here's your playback. And that's pretty straightforward. It's like, okay, well, let me see if there's any changes that need to be made. Do I like this? But I was at Bloomberg News before and we would say um, a back read. And so for years and years and years, I know like this is a back read and now it's a playback. And then I have a friend at another organization and they say, um, read back. And so it's all these same words, just different order of the word. Um, So I think that would be one of them. But this might be cheating, but I just think timesian. 
is just a phrase that people use a lot. And I think it really speaks to jargon because when I ask what exactly does that mean, you kind of get like this shoulder shrug and you're like, you know, you know, you know when you know. That's great. <laughs> and I'm like, I hope I understand one day. So I think that kind of gets to the heart of jargon. It's like, you yeah, have to be an insider. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, and it's great. interesting too. I mean, my sense of jargon goes all the way back, you know, to George Orwell's 1984, where he actually describes jargon as newspeak, you know, and, and, and Veronica, I guess, do you think mm. the business community uses opaque language, euphemisms, purposely to blur bad news. Uh, you know, one euphemism that comes to mind is go forward as a reference that uh, one company used to describe uh, a specific pool of employees, meaning those who were going to be spared uh, from job cuts, from layoffs. So they were those who were going to keep their jobs. Um, so do you notice those kinds of things creeping into the business language? Interestingly, when it comes to employees losing their jobs, that are there are a whole host of euphemisms that we actually use fairly regularly. Like even layoffs and letting go are sort of gentle euphemisms for things that are pretty painful yep. for employees and, and managers too. I think they have a hard time um, telling people that they're losing their jobs. So they come up with these these words, um, I don't know that it has the effect of, of coming across more gently. I, I sometimes wonder if it has the opposite effect. Um, a friend of mine recently told me um, she, mm -hmm. she lost her job and in her conversation with an HR person, um, the person said that she was having many of these quote impact conversations, which just felt very jarring to her. Mm. So I, I think that sometimes the idea of the of mm. of using these euphemisms is to sort of distance oneself from the pain of what you're saying, but I don't think it works. Yeah. You know, another one that was interesting in a shop top uh, talk column um, that seems to touch on this a little bit is uh, the phrase go green, then go dark, in which businesses announce sustainability initiatives and then go quiet to seemingly avoid political or cultural blowback, particularly in an era where we've got state attorney generals, you know, threatening uh, companies uh, relative to ESG practices. Um, I, I'm also wondering if you're seeing other verbiage crop up, particularly in this political space, if you will, that being one, but I'm, I'm kind of curious if there's any language or phrases you're seeing coming out of corporate reactions to this summer's uh, Supreme Court decision on affirmative action in college admissions and what and maybe in terms of what that might mean in terms of corporate diversity, equity and inclusion efforts. You know, I, I, I'm seeing companies sort of distancing themselves from taking political stands or taking stands that are more, um, maybe taking stands that are more geared toward cu customers on the right. I am seeing that trend a little bit. I don't know that I've observed the language yet, but I, I am sure the language will follow. I haven't, 
I don't have an example to give you, but I think that trend is happening and where, where there's a trend, the language will follow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think in general, um, what we hear is just like, we support diverse communities, you know, and that's such a broad umbrella. Um, or our companies, mm -hmm. I cover retailers, so our companies will say our yeah. customers, we, we, um, we market towards diverse customers, which actually yeah. doesn't make sense because a customer can't be diverse. Diversity is based off of the mix of the people you have. But I think that mm -hmm. kind of catch-all, you can you as a customer right. can read into that whatever you want. You can project yourself onto that. And so that in turn is a safe word. And it doesn't require a company to take a stand and say, this is who we market towards. This is who we sell towards. If we sell towards diverse people and diversity mm -hmm. is about everyone, then everyone should shop here. And so I, my ears always perk up when one, the word diversity is used in kind of the wrong way, but when you just have the broad Kind term. of this playing with the, the broad and the narrow at the same time. Correct. Yeah. And that's what I, I mean, is sort of fogging up language to make it broad and therefore not offensive to, or divisive or whatever you want to say. I, I think that goes on, particularly when you're writing a statement and sending it to a reporter rather than having uh, a real discussion. But I do like the language, Mike, in the example that you were talking about, the go green and then go dark, the, the, the phrase used there is green hushing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a great yeah. word. I think it's a great word because they, the companies have done yeah. that. They have stepped back in many ways. But it's kind of interesting because it's the reverse of what was thought to be something bad before when people, you know, talked about greenwashing yeah. or yeah. astroturfing, yeah. right? And I would say, Veronica and Jordan, part of the problem here may be us, Mike and I, and our colleagues. And the, Jordan, the point you just make, brought up, which is, we have advised our clients and our colleagues to stand by your values in tough times, right? Or if you're, you know, a focus of a story, reiterate what your values are. And I think too often now, though that reiteration happens of values, and then the rest of the statement is nonspecific to the point of the story, right? So um, while, I, you know, we we point this out, maybe some of us who are advising folks about language uh, share the blame. So Veronica, I want to ask you, what was the shop talk topic that garnered the most interest? Well, I don't know if I have the exact analytics about the most interest, but I will say a couple that garnered a lot of interest were four, four quadrants, which was a term that our Hollywood reporter Brooks Barnes wrote about, um, and it had to do with the Oscars and how um, a movie that is really kind of golden that hits all four demographic uh, quadrants. And um, the other one that did really well was one of Jordan's shrink. Um, it was in the news a lot, and it <laughs> was. It was coming up a lot. People were hearing it. And I think people were just curious. What, is, what does this actually mean? I'm hearing it all the time now. And what does it mean? And so Jordan did a really great job of breaking it down and, and making it clear to, to anyone who 
anyone who's ever entered a CVS and seen things behind uh, locked up yes. behind the glass uh, wall and can kind of figure out what is going on there. Yeah. So it's a reference, Jordan, right, to uh, stuff that walks out of the store unpaid for or in transit and all of that, right? It's, it's called retail shrink these days. Yeah. And what's really interesting is I, I love that you said it exactly like that. It's items that leave the store without being paid for. When I hear it and when I think a lot of people hear that word, we we hear stolen, stolen yes. items from um from customers walking in and not paying for it, or there's the larger conversation about retail crime or retail theft. But shrink also encapsulates the idea that the accounting of certain items is off. So that could be an employee side or employees are swiping items. So it encompasses this larger topic than just people running into stores and stealing. But going back to this conversation we've been had about the change that jargon has based off of political climates or just what's happening in the world, it could only mean, you know, a narrow Mm -hmm. part of the definition. And we're seeing that in, in many places, including in California. Uh, where they've uh, spent some money or allocated some money to reduce shrink. Exactly. And also um, another reason why we decided to write about shrink at the time we did, it was coming out of the holiday season. So the most important time for retailers, but it was also entering 2023 when the idea was that um, times were just going to be tougher overall for shoppers and then for businesses. And so their margins would be squeezed. And I talked to an analyst who said, you should expect to hear more conversation about shrink on the calls, either as a way that it could really be happening or a way for executives to explain why the results might not be as good as it has been in the past. And that's definitely what came to bear um, this past earnings cycle that you heard from big CEOs, you know, Target, Dick's, Macy's talking about shrink is more of an issue for them. And that could either be just because um, things in the economy aren't looking great. So people are resorting to that or just in general, those businesses aren't as strong as they've been the past few years. Veronica, one of the one of the stories or one of the articles that you wrote for Shop Talk uh, was about nautical language making its way into business, which I, I'm actually sitting in Newport, Rhode Island today. It's it's, it's rainy, so I'm not going to get out of uh, out on the boat today. But you know, I've used nautical imagery and words for decades. Um, I I even think my LinkedIn has an overview that says, you know, uh, introduces me as helping organizations navigate, you know, reputation. Um, So I'm really curious as to, is this, I look at it as something that's been there for a long time, but has this been increasing in usage? I don't think it's been increasing in usage. And in some ways, this was just a fun exercise in kind of picking out all the nautical terms that that crop up in business speak. Gotcha. Um, but I was sort of drawn to it because I noticed that a lot of statements that were talking about the talking about the end of the pandemic, really, even though we're still in a pandemic, um, they were sort of talking about the pandemic is kind of coming to a close, and and sometimes they were talking about ways of getting rid of of 
changing up executive management. And I noticed that um, they sort of relied on these old cliches. And some, sometimes I think there were certain cliches of the pandemic and navigating the pandemic became one. And um, the new normal, uh, my colleague Jason Crane wrote about uh, pandemic cliches, I think a, a year earlier. And so it was a marriage of the pandemic cliches, but also just um, kind of poking fun at the 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 nautical themes that exist in every part of the English language. But um, I, I, I paid special attention to how they show up in um, executive speak. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Crux. On The Crux, we discuss the intersection of communications, business, and society. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and on our website at thecruxpodcast.org. Now, let's get back to the episode. One phrase that I keep hearing more and more, and and, and this is for either one of you, uh, and it's one that I've heard increasingly of late, and that is spill the tea. And there's even a Southern version of this. It's what's the sweet tea? And, and, and I think I think this is akin to asking about the real story behind a rumor, <laughs> right? So, so have you have, have either one of you heard this? This is like the number one thing I say in my group chats. Really? Spill the tea. Spill yeah. the tea. <laughs> All right. What was said? What's the tea? Is the tea piping hot? Like all of those iterations. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Mike, do you just give us an idea for our next job? I, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Here, here's, here's what I'd love to do, Gary, if, if, if assuming that this is this is fine with our two guests, but I'd love to suggest to our podcast listeners to contact us. Uh, and maybe submit suggestions on what are the types of phrases that they're hearing that might be worthy of a shop talk column. So our, our website for those who want to know is www.thecruxpodcast.org. Uh, send us them your way or, or send those to us at that uh, website URL and uh, we'll add it to spill the tea. <laughs> yeah, we would, we would very much welcome uh, reader or listener suggestions. Terrific. Well, I love that idea, Mike. And, and uh, I'm going to submit, and I have to say this clearly, true-ish, the word true-ish which I always used to ask executives, you know, like we were talking about what we might say publicly. And I'd say, well, is that true? Well, it's true-ish. <laughs> and I would say, no, we're not going to say it then if it's only true-ish. Like I want to... I want truthiness. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly. Right. But you fill in your gut. I, I used to love that when he was in character. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I was going to say, before we wrap up here, one of my favorites is fractional executive, um, which I guess is someone hired on a part-time or contractual basis. I like it because 
I knew a lot of fractional executives who were working full time. So, uh, <laughs> Veronica and Jordan, this has been fantastic. Um, uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, Shop Talk is uh, on page three of the business section in print on Sundays. So that's the way I get my Sunday times. But of course, you can. It runs. It runs every other week. Every other week is that right? Okay, and and uh, of course you can find it on the Times website. So thank you, Veronica and Jordan, for being on the crux. Thank you so much for having us. This was so fun. Terrific. And thank you to our audience. We'll be back next week with another episode of the crux of the story. Thanks for listening to the crux and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at the crux on Facebook and on Twitter. And you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.